Welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation with nationally known gerontologist Carol Zernio and veteran broadcaster and attorney Ron Aaron. This program provides health, wellness, and other information for caregivers who are vital to the health and well-being of so many people across our country. Now, here are your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zernio. Well, thank you very much, and welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, Carol Zerniel, our co-host on special assignment today, and we're delighted to have Peaches Hall in the studio with us. Peaches is the uh, executive director in charge of the WellMed Charitable Foundation Senior Center at uh, Ingram Mall and has a lot of experience in running memory centers as well, working with folks with dementia and other debilitating illnesses, and so we're delighted to have her expertise with us as well. And we jump now to our Caregiver SOS on-air hotline, where Lisa D'Ambrosio, Ph.D., is a research scientist at MIT's Age Lab, and they also now have a new caregiver panel, and we'll find out about that as well. Lisa, thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for having me, Ron. So tell us a little bit about yourself, you know, the basic 411. (laughs) Grew up on a mountaintop in Tennessee, killed you a bear before you were 10, that kind of thing. Yeah, nothing that exciting, I'm afraid. Uh, I am a research scientist here at the MIT Age Lab, and I've been working here for about 19 years. Uh, my background actually is in political science. I was trained as a social scientist, so I've, I've always been interested in uh, what people do and why they do what they do. Um, and so over time, um, I came to work in, in this aging area with our director, Dr. Joe Coughlin, and uh, he, we've built the Age Lab here at, at MIT where we do a whole bunch of research around helping people live longer, not just live longer, but live better. So we don't do any of the biomedical kind of research here at the Age Lab. There are certainly other places at MIT where they're doing that kind of work. But our focus is really on trying to understand how we can, how people are aging and how we can leverage technology to help people age better. So we do work in transportation and mobility, in technology use and adoption, financial planning and preparedness for longevity, and caregiving. I remember talking to my mom who passed away at age 90, and I said, hey, mom, how you doing? She said, Ronnie, getting old is not great. Everything hurts. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. We know that uh, a lot of people experience, you know, those kinds of physiological and physical changes that that make aging physically painful. Um, but we know that's not not the identical experience for everyone either. One of the things that we have here at the lab actually is our lifestyle leaders group, and these are all people who are ages 85 and older. And they come here to Cambridge, uh, to our, our lab in Cambridge, every other month to participate in a research study. And uh, we know from talking to them and seeing them and interacting with uh, some of them for five years or longer that, um, you know, despite some of the aches and pains that may accompany age, they're, they're still ready and raring to go and, and, and be involved and engaged in whatever they can. What is their secret to longevity? It's a great question, and we've heard some different answers from them. So some of them attribute it to a lifetime of healthy eating and exercise. Others really focus on being engaged and involved in in things that they love to do. Um, So I think that both of those components are obviously really important to to living well, and, and genetics don't hurt either, for sure. Do they still have a significant other with them? Some of them do. Some of them have a significant other whom they may have been married to for quite some time. And 
up others over time, have had uh, partners that have come for a little while, and then those relationships might have ended. And so we, we see a little bit of mix of both. Yeah. So you, do you see a difference with somebody who has a, a much more social personal life? In terms of, of their... Their the zest, their longevity. Their enthusiasm. Their- yeah. Yeah, it's hard to say because in this group, I think they're self-selected. So they really come, I think, with that zest and interest baked into who they are. They're they're coming to the group in part because, you know, they they know that they have more to contribute and that we can learn from them, which which we do. And so they, I think in that sense, they're coming already because they, they have that zest. And they're curious. Absolutely. Yeah, I think Absolutely. that I love the curiosity. Now, one of the yeah. things, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, I think both curious and I think also um, really interested in contributing and giving back to so that we can learn from their lived experiences and also get some insight into how this, what life is like on the, on the cutting edge of aging. I mean, this is the fastest growing segment of the U.S. population, and these are people who are out there and active and engaged so we can learn from them about what works for them and what doesn't work for them. And I can tell you, if it doesn't work for them, it's not going to work for anybody. Hmm. All right, we're going to tell folks who just joined us what you're listening to. It's Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron. Carol Zerniel, our co-host on special assignment today. Peaches Hall is filling in, and we are talking on our Caregiver SOS On Air hotline with Lisa D'Ambrosio. Dr. D'Ambrosio is a research scientist at the MIT Age Lab. A couple of years ago, I remember interviewing uh, your co-director, Joe, and we talked about some of the neat stuff you all were developing, uh, adapting technologies to make life uh, more successful for those who are aging. Talk to me a little bit about that. You mentioned that in some of the uh, bio material I have, that uh, you're looking for technology to help folks do things. Absolutely. Um, and we are, I, I, I will say that we ourselves don't necessarily develop a lot of those technologies within our lab, but we're really interested in how people might be using those technologies to, to live better and live, live independently longer. So that, and one of the things we just asked uh, some of the people locally was, you know, what's the, what's the technology you find most helpful for um, aging? What's the kind of, what's the kind of game changer? And so, one of the responses that we got back most often was really something like the smartphone, just because it provides a platform to access so many other things. So having a smartphone gives you access to the apps that let you access sharing economy services, such as shared ride services if you need a ride someplace or a meal delivery, um, caregiving on demand, uh, you know, being able to, to basically summon up a caregiver for, through certain kinds of, of services like, like the ones that Honor provides in some parts of the country. So I think that um, that those kinds of technologies are ones that we see really affecting and helping people to be able to live independently longer. That plus, I think, as we look at the home itself, uh, we have this whole suite of smart home technologies that are, are migrating to the home and really helping the home be a platform for enabling independent living. I have trouble getting my wife, and I don't mean to be sexist, but to understand how to get the cable TV and the remote to work. As you you look at, don't tell her I said that, as you look at some of the newer smart home technologies, turn the lights on with your toe in the middle of the night, Uh, (laughs) lock your garage door when you're on Mars, those kinds of things. Are older people adapting to that? We are seeing some adoption among older adults, and I think as the population continues to age, uh, we will see 
faster adoption of those technologies. And in fact, that's what we see across the board with, with lots of technologies in older adults is that, that really, um, they are among the, mo- the quickest adopters of some of these new technologies after, you know, once they've been out in the market for a little bit. So I think that we will see adoption among older adults, both in part because people will be aging into older adulthood already having used some of those technologies so that they might already be in place. Um, and then I think the other piece is that companies are working hard to make the technologies more intuitive and easier to use. So I think a lot of the a lot of the reason why we see we've seen such rapid adoption of some things like um, the smart home assistants, like you know the Google Home and the Amazon um, Echo and Alexa, are that the interfaces are much easier to use. That you can you know you can basically kind of plug it in and then and then you you talk to it. You don't have to fiddle around with nine million buttons to get it to work. Um, so I think as, as companies work harder to make the technology more seamless and easier to use, I think adoption will, will keep pace as well. Lisa, what's a day look like in your, your lab when they come in every other month? What do they sit down and do? What, do you have an assignment for them? What is it that they're doing to help you? Sure. For our lifestyle leaders, we typically plan out our sessions in advance. So we have a particular topic that we are focused on and we're interested in hearing about. And prior to the session, they will have completed online a brief questionnaire or they will have done it in person um, when they've come to the session. We have lunch and a presentation from one of our researchers here in the Age Lab or somebody else that we have asked and requested to present. And then we break down into small groups for discussion on the topic. So we really run the gamut in, the, in, that, in that session. Give, give me an example of your topic that you went through. Sure. So we have done everything from transportation and mobility to love and relationships to rituals and meaning-making to caregiving to health and well-being, fitness behaviors. We have uh, five years of accumulated sessions and research with the group. And do you see things have changed from then to now? We have for some of the group. We did, we've actually repeated a, a session on transportation and we definitely saw some shifts around what people were using to get around. So fewer people driving themselves places, a little bit more reliance on things like the ride, the paratransit system here in the Boston metro area, um, as well as relying on uh, other friends or family to, to, to give them rides. So we definitely have seen some changes um, in the group over time, but we're also always bringing in new members, too. Mm. The only criteria is you've got to be 85 or older. So if you're 81 or 82 or 84, you're too young, and uh, you need to be able to come to the lab. That's great. And so you see a change, and you've seen, and I imagine you've lost some of your people. We have. Over time, we have lost a a few members. Yeah. It's got to be tough on you. It is. We really really become very... uh, (laughs) You know, emotionally close to yes. our participants. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, we've, we've seen some of them for for five years now, and um, it's a wonderful opportunity for us to be able to learn from them and, and to talk with them about what their experiences have been. That's not an um, idle so. question from uh, Peaches because she runs a senior center, and from time to time they have members who pass on. Yeah, yeah, it, it is. It is sad, but we are also. It gives us also an opportunity to reflect on um, 
for us, again, how valuable and how grateful we are that they were able to mm-hmm. make the time to share their perspectives and their opinions with us. Yeah, and what you've learned from it. My goodness. All right, hang on. Absolutely. We're going to come right back to you. We're talking about aging and ways in which we can age better with better assists and better knowledge. The MIT Age Lab, our topic today. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host today, Peaches Hall. Carol Zerdiel is on special assignment, and we get right back to Lisa in just a moment. This is Caregiver SOS On Air on 9.30 a.m., The Answer. At WellMed, we care about you. It shows in the way we take the time to get to know you, your history, your health goals, and everything that makes you, you. We'll help you feel your best through proven industry-leading care and advanced technology. We always strive to give you our full attention and deepest respect. Medicare annual enrollment period is October 15th through December 7th. Pick a plan that gives you access to WellMed doctors. Visit wellmedfindadoctor.com or call 844-439-7517. We are so pleased you were with us today on Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Peaches Hall, who is our co-host today, while Carol Zerniel is on special assignment. We're talking on our Caregiver SOS On Air hotline uh, with Lisa D'Ambrosio. Dr. D'Ambrosio is a research scientist for the MIT Age Lab up in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And, And they're in the business of trying to figure out how in the world we can live longer and live better. I go back to what I said earlier about my mom, who said... You know, living longer is not necessarily a plus, but for many today, uh, it's turning out to be much better than that, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. People are are living longer in part because of all these advances around uh, medicine and public health that have really enabled a, a higher quality of life as we've, as we've grown older. As you look at the kind of assists that are coming more and more online, uh, ways to help you... Uh, walk, better walkers if you need one, better canes if you need one, uh, more activity, a better emphasis on exercise, which at Peach's Senior Center is a big part of what they do. Uh, Are there one or two areas in which you see tremendous growth down the road, Lisa? Well, I would say in terms of some of the potential for for significant change and improvement, we, we have seen a renewed attention both in the U.S. and across the globe around, on the issue of social isolation. And I think as, as we look at older adults, we know that, I think, it, I think the data suggests that, it, that as many as one in six older adults are socially isolated. And we know that social isolation has negative effects on people's, on both people's mental and emotional health as well as on their physical health. So I think that there are there's an increasing amount of attention and opportunity around this area around how do we connect older adults or how, how do we help keep older adults connected and engaged in communities and how do we create intergenerational connections as well between older and younger adults, you know, adults across all generations um, so that we can all mutually benefit from these connections. I was glad to hear you mention isolation, loneliness. Nicholas Kristof in the New York Times wrote a really interesting piece a couple of weeks ago. You may have seen it. On social isolation, he says it's more lethal than smoking, 15 cigarettes a day, more lethal than obesity, according to the research that he has seen. Isolation kills 600,000 people a year because of its effects. That's a huge number. Exactly. And it's also something that I feel like we can move the needle on. And 
We've definitely seen in that same New York Times piece, uh, you know, he pointed out that the U.K. has a minister of loneliness. So we've seen governments try to take action on that. And in the private sector, we've seen um, a movement around different kinds of companies trying to create um, opportunities for older adults to remain, to, to be basically become engaged and connected. So we've seen companies like Stitch move into that space to try to create opportunities for older adults to connect to each other more readily. Um, and other kinds of services um, like Papa Pals who are connecting college-age students with older adults um, so that they can both, again, mutually benefit from those kinds of relationships and connections. Now, one of the things that uh, Peaches sees uh, at her senior center, you may get someone coming in for the first time who is shy, withdrawn, uh, in talking to anybody. And Peaches, what do you see over a short period of time? Oh, they they become so ingrained and uh, they become our best volunteers. They're gung-ho and their social skills get so polished. Loneliness at a senior center doesn't exist. No, and they get married there, too. Really? <laughs> yes. Well, that's cool. Yeah. Have you gotten certified online to uh, I should, shouldn't hold I? weddings? Sure. I could do that. You could, could do that? Yes. The Reverend Hall. <laughs> yes. That's got a amen. ring to it. I like that. <laughs> now, what about uh, older folks and new relationships? One of the downsides to that Lisa, and I know, you're, I know you're aware of the studies, is that sexually transmitted diseases are on the rise among seniors 65 and over because they're at a point where they think unprotected sex isn't needed. Right, right. They're not worrying about pregnancy, so they're not worrying about all of the other conditions that they might need to protect themselves against. Um, so absolutely, this is an area that is ripe for uh, ongoing education about how people can stay healthy as they age. I, I'm reading your bio, and it talks about um, you get together and you talk about new ideas and technologies and things that can be um, developed f for their assistance. Have you seen anything from your conversations with your people come to fruition? Do you see a change or any new technology as a result of your people? As a result of our lifestyle leaders? Mm -hmm. You know, we have actually been really fortunate that, I mean, one of the great advantages, obviously, of being at MIT is that we have this amazing set of a population of students um, who are so smart and so engaged in doing all kinds of different things. We actually had a group of students yesterday who had developed um, a different oven prototype um, that they were working on, and they were interested in feedback from our, our lifestyle leaders. So over time... Definitely, our lifestyle leaders have provided really valuable feedback around things like from, you know, walker modifications and changes to those kinds of technologies to giving companies um, input and, and feedback about their experiences with doing something like getting a hearing aid and what that process is like and what Ooh, challenges that they find around using those kinds of devices. That must be so, so great for them. They must feel so proud. Yeah, I, you know, I think, I think that it really is a part, too, of why people want to participate. It's that, it's that. Giving um, back. Again, exactly. Opportunity to give back and to make a difference. Mm -hmm. That's great. I was shopping the other day and, and bought a new oven mitt that had been designed for folks like me. I'm, I happen to be 77. Uh, and the, the regular old oven mitts, you, your hand goes in and you have to bend that thick pad in order to grab a pan. Well, somebody came up with the idea. <laughs> of making one that's already bent. You put your hand in, it's already bent, and it works. Yep, and sometimes it's a simple innovation that 
that uh, that really makes such a huge difference. For for you and and for the choice you made to work in this field, uh, what's it taught you about yourself? You, you sound relatively young. I don't believe you're in your nineties yet. No, not yet. Um, I hope to make it there, though. Um, you know, I think to your point earlier about um, people in our lifestyle leaders group really wanting to be engaged, they've really been. Um, models for us, I think, as we think about what do we want to be like as we grow older. So I think about um, the importance, again, of remaining cognitively and um, emotionally engaged with the other people and the ideas that I've got access to in my life, and as well as um, the importance of remaining or trying to remain as healthy as possible. I mean, there are always lots of good temptations not to be. But I think that one of the things that I've really taken away from from working here at the Age Lab over over the years is that aging is so disruptive in so many ways. As a species, we didn't really evolve to live as long as we've been living in the past century, century and a quarter. So, so many of these things and having so many older adults is so, so different for us. And so this is an opportunity for us as a society to rethink how we do what we do from how we design our roads and our stores and our public spaces to how do we design technologies so that they're easier to use and they facilitate people's independence. So I think that What's really wonderfully exciting about the work that I that I do is that I I'm able to interact with again all of the, all of my smart colleagues here at MIT and the wonderful students to to re envision what it means to grow old. There was a piece in the New York Times today. You, I'm sure you saw it. You like me devour the Times about a a new DNA discovery in plants that connects to humans that lets plants age for literally decades, centuries talked about the Methuselah plant, which is over 4,000 years old, a scrubby, ugly-looking little tree, but it's still living. And uh, the thought is uh, to see how we can adapt that genetic material to humans. I don't know I want to live to 4,000, but hey, I'm willing to give it a try. (laughs) Well, that is definitely out of the purview of the work that we do here at the (laughs) Age Lab, but like I said, there are other labs at MIT that I'm sure... Um, are actively engaged in that kind of research. But I think it's, it is a question, though, of what does quality of life mean as we age? Right. And aging without having the high quality of life that we want, you know, may not yield the kind of, of life satisfaction that we're, we're really looking for. So I think that it's great if you, you know, you just don't want to be the only plant, maybe. You want to make sure that you've got uh, family and friend plants around you to do yeah, again. In that photo, in the photo, the plant looked really lonely. <laughs> <laughs> Lisa, do you find that um, your your group, um, since they're older, do they live on their own in their own home, or do they live in, like, senior communities? We have a mix of people in our group. Um, many of them live independently, however. Oh, really? In their own home? Yes. Wow. That I want, that's very interesting. And you're, you've been doing this for five years, but you've been working there 19. So have you been doing something close to this for the whole 19 years where you had people come in and you're doing a study on them? So we've always done research with people over the full, full lifetime and existence uh-huh. of the Age Lab. But we started this particular group of lifestyle leaders just a few years ago mm-hmm. after Frankly, one of the members I ran into at a talk I was giving, and we got to chatting, and he's, he's an MIT alumni from the class of 1940, mm-hmm. and um, we got to talking, and he was 
talking about how, you know, he was still mentally sharp and still wanted to be doing things and giving back. And there weren't a lot of opportunities he felt like for him to do so in the research domain. And then we went back and took a look at what we were, what we were doing with some of the participants in our, in our database. And we realized for a lot of our studies, we were cutting off the age range pretty young, you know, at 75. And we realized we're missing out on this whole segment of the population and that's foolish. So let's explicitly do some work to try to learn from this group because, again, they're the fastest-growing segment of the population. Right. They are, to some degree, their opinions aren't necessarily represented as well in a lot of the quantitative data that we see. So this is an opportunity for us to really dig in with this particular group. And I should be clear that this is not by any means a representative group of the whole population of right. 85-year-olds. Right. Right. Again, these people are they're in better health. They, are, they live in the Boston metro area. And they're able to, you know, they're able to come to the age lab physically every other month. So they're they're not uh, representative of that whole age segment. Yeah, I, that interests they me. They give us insight into that group. And they have the burden of being Red Sox fans. <laughs> <laughs> Some of us like to think of that as a bonus. Ah, but that's okay. <laughs> we are flat out of time. For folks who want to track what you do, is there a website? Yeah, um, people can go to our, our website, agelab.mit.edu. And as you, as you mentioned at the outset of the program, we are really engaged in doing research with caregivers right now. We're building a caregiver panel. Um, it's national panel. It's all done online with online surveys and questionnaires where we periodically reach out to caregivers to try to learn more about their experiences. Perfect. And so we would love it. If you have any listeners who would be interested in joining, they can check out our website or they can go directly to tinyurl.com slash MIT caregiving. Thank you. Appreciate you coming on, Dr. Lisa D'Ambrosio with the MIT Age Lab. I'm Ron Aaron, Caregiver SOS on air on 930 AM, The Answer. You've been listening to Caregiver SOS on air, an exclusive presentation of the WellMed Charitable Foundation. We welcome emails with suggestions and comments on this program at radio at wellmed.net. Join co-hosts Carol Zerniel and Ron Aaron next week for more on caregiving, improving the health and well-being of caregivers and their care recipients everywhere. For more on caregiving and podcasts of our programs, visit caregiversos.org.